tuned into How to OT, making research more accessible and more consumable for the occupational therapy practitioner. Here's your host, Matt Brandenburg. Today, I am joined by Sarah Pease, one of my classmates in the OTD 2020 cohort at Washington University in St. Louis. Sarah, thanks for being on the show. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Matt. Of course. Yeah, Sarah is from Rochester, Minnesota. You are a former basketball player, and I have to say one of the happiest and most positive people I've met. It's been a pleasure going to school with you. I'll let you know, Matt, I'm no Michael Jordan, but we'll, we'll say this podcast is my last dance as far as OT school goes. <laughs> so I thank you for having me, and um, I want to give you a big kudos. Um, I've gotten to kind of hear about your OTD project you know, from earlier in our program in the proposals course, and it's been really awesome to see everything come to life. And you're a pleasure to work with, and I've really enjoyed getting to know you, so thank you. No, no problem. The least I can do. <laughs> this has been a really fun project for me. I love listening about everybody's research, and I truly believe that it deserves to be celebrated and disseminated because there's so much people can learn from this. And let's see, for you, we're going to talk about two of the projects that you've completed while here at WashU. Um, One is your doctoral research project, which is actually a program development and evaluation project. Um, Mm -hmm. But that is called Evaluation of the Vision Loss Self-Management Leader Training Webinar Program. And then the other is going to be your practice model that you developed called Overcoming Vision Loss the promotion of engagement model. Yep. And I have to say that the OT in promotion is capitalized. So fun there. little flair. Thank you. <laughs> yes, I'm a fan. Um, so Sarah, what led you to take on these projects? Was there something or someone that inspired you? So I came into the OT program being very interested in older adults and Prior to coming to OT school, I was a fitness and wellness specialist intern at Mayo Clinic's Retirement Living Center in Rochester and a CNA. So working with older adults, I, came, I became very familiar with vision loss as it's an age-related change that a lot of this population experiences. And I knew coming into OT school that I wanted to continue to broaden my knowledge and skill set to help old, older adults and Dr. Monica Perlmutter's lab offered some experiential learning with older adults with vision loss and some experience with groups, which were something that I wanted to learn more about in in school. So it was a great way for me to get involved. That's awesome. So you have background experience in working with um, this population. And you've also, for both of these projects, had to really dive into the scientific literature and evidence surrounding the science of vision loss. What are some of the main takeaways you found in diving into this scientific literature? So the literature really highlights all of the challenges that vision loss poses to someone's independence. And with the older adult population continuing to grow in the U.S., there obviously becomes a need for specialized care to meet the specific needs of their eye conditions and their comorbid conditions. So one way to meet this need is through self-management, which is a health promotion approach that that's used to address the needs of individuals with chronic conditions. There are six additional core self-management skills, which are problem solving, decision making, 
resource utilization, patient provider partnership, action planning, and self-tailoring is really that general self-management skills. And then, you know, some researchers have taken this a step further and to address the needs for those experiencing vision loss, they've made vision loss specific self-management programs. And these programs have demonstrated increased activity participation, reduced depression in these folks, and improved self-efficacy. So your project included testing the effectiveness of a leadership training for a self-management program. Can you describe to us what this program looks like or what first what the vision loss self-management program looks like? Yeah, so the vision loss self-management program is six sessions and I'll go through each session. So session one basically helps individuals with vision loss understand self-management. It goes into problem solving and goal setting. And then the second session is about assertive communication. Third is physical activity and exercise. Then they have a session on managing difficult emotions. The fifth session is about partnering with their healthcare providers. And then the last one is um, helping them utilize community resources and planning for the future. And this program has been held in the St. Louis area almost six times. I say almost because we're in the middle of the program this semester when the virus hit. So we didn't quite get to finish it. But the Vision Loss Self Management program is a really great program for individuals because it allows them to gain knowledge and it may equip them with new ways to cope with their loss of vision. And I thought one of the coolest parts really is that it helps them connect with others who may be having similar experiences to to them. I love that, that it brings the community aspect into the program as well. Why, Sarah, is it important to have a leader training for this type of program? Yeah, so following the implementation of the Vision Loss Self-Management program, uh, Dr. Perlmutter, whose lab I was in, she basically started to see a need for a leader training. And the OTD student before me, Rachel Kozolinski, um, completed a needs assessment in 2016 um, at a conference where, you know, need for a vision loss self-management leader training was identified. And from there, uh, Rachel completed a literature review and she looked up applicable theories and literature on leader training best practices and webinar training best practices, and then she determined content for six two-hour webinar sessions, which is the Vision Loss Self-Management Leader Training. Why did you choose to deliver this training in webinar format? This leader training was offered to clinicians across the, com- across the country, and um, a lot of those people that took that needs assessment at that conference in 2016 were offered to partake in the leader training program. and you know, the best way to reach an audience beyond the St. Louis region was through a webinar format. That makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So what does the leader training program look like? Yeah. So this program, like I said, is six two-hour webinar sessions. It's been trialed twice with 15 OTs and OTAs um, around the nation. We had a couple people from Canada, which was cool. And basically, it kind of goes hand in hand with the vision loss self-management program. So for example, 
webinar one, we go over um, self-management program history, development of the program, outcomes, and then the learners get to participate in a role play of session one of the vision loss program. And each webinar session, they get to continue to practice leading a vision loss self-management group and kind of learn about different aspects of a vision loss program. So that includes um, participant and volunteer recruitment, partnering with community organizations, um, creating a safe environment for individuals taking this program. Really this leader training streamlined the information and gave the leaders um, resources to start their own programs in their community. I love that. And I'm, I'm just now realizing and thinking that you can create the perfect program that can lead to the greatest possible outcomes for clients uh, and OT patients. But if there's no way to train practitioners and how to deliver that program effectively, then the program's never really going to achieve its goals. And it's not going to end up influencing people for the better as well as it could. Yeah, exactly. I think that's really cool how focused on implementation your project is. And I want to ask how you were able to design your study to test the leadership training program's effectiveness. My process really started in the literature and literature highlighted impact and process evaluation as key components of effective evaluation design. So just so we're all on the same page, um, I'll give you a couple definitions. So impact evaluation assesses how well a program achieves its objectives. So that was us kind of measuring before and after the program, did these leaders who took the training, did their use of these self-management tenants change before and after? And then we also looked at process evaluations, which focus on assessing program components. So that's the activities, the assignments, the technology that we used. And that really just gave us an idea of, you know, learner satisfaction. And both evidence-based evaluation methods, like I said, inspired the development of surveys that I used throughout the leader training program to guide further development and revisions. Tell me about those surveys. What kind of questions were you asking on those? Prior to the leader training program, I created kind of like a pre, pre-test. It was the vision loss self-management leader training pre-survey. So section one really looked at, I wanted to gain an understanding of the types of clients that these folks work with, um, primary diagnosis and treatment settings. The second section really dove into um, assessing the learner's knowledge of self-management. It looked at their self-efficacy, frequency of self-management skills used in their practice. And then the last section, I basically adapted from the vision loss self-management program that individuals with vision loss take. So it looked into the frequency of self-management skills and it then had the learners rate their ability and satisfaction with the use of those skills. Then participants, they obviously attended the webinar. So they attended these six two-hour leader training sessions over a 10-week period. And after each session, they completed session-specific surveys. So these were really satisfaction and feedback surveys. And this is where we got that process data, where we were able to, we were able to gain an understanding of 
their satisfaction with content and also their satisfaction with the different technology and interfaces that we are using. Um, this includes some feedback questions that really allowed them to tell us, you know, what they liked, what they didn't like, and what they were using in their practice. How satisfied were your participants with those aspects of your study? Yeah, um, it was really great to see it. Pretty much they were all either, you know, satisfied or very satisfied with um, the different content that we provided and different activities that they got to participate in. And, you know, through this COVID, COVID time, a lot of us have become familiar with Zoom and thank goodness they were all pretty satisfied with Zoom back then too. That is great. That is great. <laughs> um, one finding from your study that I found really interesting um, is that participants reported that they utilize self-management skills more in their practice following the training. How does their increased use of self-management skills impact their interventions and the outcomes of their clients? So my evaluation didn't specifically look at changes in outcomes of clients, but we did find statistically significant changes in learners' frequency of addressing self-management skill education in their clinical practice. So specifically, there were changes in the clinician's utilization of self-management skills, such as assisting clients in engaging in physical activity and exercise, educating and encouraging clients to actively partner with their doctor. There were some changes in educating and assisting clients to utilize assertive communication strategies, exploring community resources, and helping clients plan for the future changes in their health or vision. You know, we also saw statistically significant changes in the learner's knowledge of self-management in general, a use of a self-management approach in their practice, and we're happy to see just that their overall, you know, self-efficacy and confidence in using self-management um, improved after taking this program. Yeah, that's great. So participants were not only satisfied with the program, but they also were able to recognize how the program was affecting their practice. Yep, yep. We are really, really glad to see that. That's great. Can you share a clinical example or maybe a story of when a participant saw a positive health outcome in a client after they completed this training? Yeah, so I guess I'll share more of a personal experience. So I've been a part of two vision loss self-management programs, and the most recent group was very fun to be a part of. The resilience of the individuals always amazes me. And I think a huge positive health outcome is that these individuals really gain social support and social capital from this program. So throughout the program, there are a bunch of opportunities for the participants to connect with one another and share some tips and tricks of what they do to perform self-care. Um, this time around, there was a lady who was saying since she lost her vision, she's having trouble putting on makeup, for example, and a couple other participants, you know, had lots of tips and um, it's really cool to see them share ways that, you know, they've under overcome their vision loss. And, you know, with that said, we help members set up kind of like a call system or a call chain. And it's really awesome to hear about how often, you know, they call each other and check in and they even set up their own little lunch dates from, from week to week, which is really, really great to hear about. Yeah, that's amazing. 
Um, again, that touches on the impact of, of community. If, if someone's working with vision loss specifically, where can they find the vision loss self-management? And then also like as a follow-up, it'd be like if someone's not working with vision loss, are there any other resources you'd recommend? So yeah, I think one place to kind of connect people with community is like in St. Louis here, we have the St. Louis Society for the Blind. And that's one way to connect not only clients with resources, but um, therapists with resources on ways to help these clients. And as for the vision loss self-management program, um, Monica does a great job. She outlined the entire program. There's a script and it's a really great way for, you know, practitioners to provide, you know, self-management strategies to, to a group of clients. Is there like, is her program available online or like, so that's can, what, can people buy it or is it still not to that level? It's still not to that level because she's having people, you know, take this leader training before disseminating it out. But I will say everybody who took the leader training program, you know, got a copy of a vision loss self-management manual. Um, well, Sarah, not only did you complete this research study, but as we mentioned earlier, you also developed a practice model surrounding this population. This might be a good time to give a little background on how that model was developed um, and maybe touch on some of the additional literature that you reviewed in um, backing your model. Yeah. Um, so at WashU, we have this models course that help students, you know, pick a population that they're really interested in. And because of my experience in Dr. Perlmutter's lab, I wanted to dig into the literature even more and understand this population better. So my model aimed to provide me with a literature review describing the um, impact of not just vision loss on an individual's abilities, but also aging. And it was really interesting to find out that, you know, it's really the combination of those two aging and vision loss that has the the most negative impacts on occupational engagement. And that's something that I think I need to keep in mind moving forward. And I hope anybody else who looks at my model or reads you know, the paper, they also um, gain an understanding of that. So really my model highlighted the journey of overcoming vision loss and all of the different factors that need to be taken into account when working with this population. And the visual representation outlines the relationship between one's person factors and how both vision and aging impact each factor and how all of those factors impact one another. And then it, you know, takes it a step further and incorporates key um, aspects of one's physical environment and just their environment as a whole that, you know, can act as either a barrier or facilitator to occupational engagement. My main goal here was having a holistic way to understand this population and the literature definitely laid that out for me so that was really cool to see that's awesome and i i wish everyone listening could see a visual representation of your model um because i was in your models class and got to see your final presentation and it all come together and it looks great i know this is bad podcasting now i'm talking about a visual representation of something <laughs> <laughs> you're fine um i'll give the listeners I'll let you guys make it up in your mind, but I basically was able to make an eyeball and then, you know, the eyelashes were all of the P factors. So I had, you know, sensory, physiological and motor, psychological. I had 
the P factors laid out in the eyelashes and then the eyeball kind of made up the physical environment and you could see how they all kind of played into each other and affected one another. And it was just icing on the cake to be able to have it be an eyeball. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I love it. Very applicable for the population. Yes. Yes. And Sarah, how does your model work to improve the overall well-being, participation, and engagement of older adults with vision loss? Um, I think this model can be used as a guide, one for assessments, and it outlines ways for practitioners to kind of think and view all of the P factors and E factors, so the person and environment factors that these clients may be facing. Um, this goes beyond the reason that this client that you have in front of you may be referred to. It goes beyond this loss of vision. Um, this model, like I said, really tried to incorporate a holistic approach to working with this population and meeting their needs. So um, I think some of the best models are ones that you can visualize in your head. And that's what this tried to do. And it outlined and provided therapists and students with an overview of, you know, the literature and what we know about this population and ways that OTs can help address their needs. I love that. In a sense, you created a model that helps people see the whole picture of their clients, which yeah. is that is that like kind of ironic because their clients have vision loss? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, either way, it's a great model. Thank you. Awesome. Well, Sarah, I'd love to ask you some more personal and opinion type questions now about cool. what you've been able to accomplish over these past couple of years. Cool. First oh, off, what have you enjoyed most about your projects? Um, I've enjoyed hearing about clinicians' experiences with, you know, working with individuals with vision loss and just kind of how they take the information that was presented to them through the Vision Loss Self-Management Leader Training Program. Everyone really had such great ideas regarding how they plan to implement the program in their practice or in their settings and things that they may currently do with clients. And as a student, I really learned a lot from, from all of those experiences and anecdotes. And um, this is a shout out to Monica. I've really enjoyed being able to work with uh, Dr. Monica Perlmutter. She was a great mentor and she really allows students to become leaders of their projects and in the lab. And um, it was just a very enjoyable experience. So thank you. Okay, so how will your participation in uh, this program development project and then your model influence your future practice? Over the last three years, self-management has been ingrained in my head, and I'm grateful because I think it's a great, great approach and great way to address a variety of chronic conditions when working with my future clients. And when it comes to program development, I think a big takeaway for me was the importance of evidence-based, you know, practices and literature to kind of guide your journey and evaluation even. I mean, I think going into this, I didn't, I wouldn't have even thought about looking up program evaluation literature. And so it was really cool to learn from what others did and it helped influence what I was doing. And, you know, for my model, obviously, I think gaining a deeper understanding and really looking at the literature again is something that I'll continue to do. Do you feel that what you've done is going to influence your future career decisions? Yeah, I think 
I think from this, I have gained an interest in program development and um, one key part of effective program development is effective evaluation and understanding, you know, one is what I'm doing, changing anything and are the people that are taking my program, are they satisfied? So I think, I think it's been a big takeaway for me and it will definitely influence my future career decisions and what I do with my career. What do you hope that occupational therapy practitioners take away from what you've shared? Yeah, so for my model, I hope that, you know, OT students and clinicians can gain a better understanding of kind of the compounding effects of aging and vision loss on this population and really provide a holistic view and how they're assessing and intervening with their clients. And then I think for my OTD project, I think that OTs have so many opportunities with program development. And I think just remembering that process evaluation is a key step in it because it can help you refine your program and make it even better. All right, Sarah, we're almost to the golden nugget segment. But before I ask that question, I wanted to ask you now, Um, if there's anyone you'd like to thank or acknowledge in the completion of these projects. In addition to Dr. Perlmutter, who I've already thanked, I want to give a shout out to my models class, who Matt was a part of. It was really fun getting to work with everybody over the course of the year, and they all were, you know, key to feedback in my model creation, and it was just fun. And thank you, Dr. Taff, for a great year and giving us all the opportunity to grow and collaborate with one another. It was a great class. And I'll be honest though. I still am kind of upset that we never got our end of the year potluck due to COVID. Me too. We should have done like a virtual potluck, even (laughs) though we couldn't all share. Maybe, maybe we can still schedule something like that. We'll have to. Okay, Sarah, what's, what's one thing you've learned from this process that you wish everyone knew? Yeah, I would say don't be afraid to innovate and develop something new if there's a population that you think their needs aren't being met. And, you know, don't be afraid to dive into the literature and come up with ways to, to meet their needs. Be my big takeaway. Thank you. I love that. Thanks for listening to How to OT. Tune in next time for another episode where we bring accessible and consumable research straight to you. I'm on vacation. If you don't like your life, then you should go and change it. I'm on vacation every single day because I love my occupation. I'm on vacation every single day, every single day. Having, can we redo this one? Absolutely, yeah. I don't know, Matt. Let me restart this. Sorry, can I restart this one? Okay, you just want me to hop right in. And, yeah, go Go ahead. ahead. Sorry, cut this part, but Yeah.
cut that, man. <laughs> yeah, no worries. <laughs> man, this is hard. Okay. So take this part out, man. Thank you. <laughs> Hold on, Matt. Cut this. Cause I love my occupation. Hey, I'm on vacation every single day, every every single day. You're totally. I've, I'm probably the worst podcaster. I feel like I have to do this a lot. Hey, I'm on vacation. If you don't like your life, then you should go and change it. All right, cool. If you don't like your life, then you should go and change it. If you don't like your life, then you should go and change it. Yeah. Okay, last time that.